Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. Avenues to defend life. Are there ways to defeat abortion that we haven't yet explored? Some pro-lifers say that the 14th Amendment could be the path to protecting innocent unborn babies. Constitutional expert Mark Rienzi of the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty explains the provisions of the 14th Amendment and how it defines personhood. The next step for our movement? Live Action's Noah Brandt says that 14th Amendment protections could make abortion totally illegal nationwide. His group argues that this would restore true justice to our nation. We speak with him about why he believes this is the next major battlefront for the pro-life movement. The path forward. Legal expert Helen Alvarez joins us to discuss how Roe versus Wade has impacted the way Americans think about abortion and women's rights over time. She shares her thoughts on what comes next for our movement and the importance of recognizing the personhood of babies in the womb. Helen explains why this is an originalist take and what that legal term means. The 14th Amendment to the Constitution was ratified in 1868, almost 100 years after our nation's founding. It reads in part, No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. I recently spoke to Mark Rienzi about how the 14th Amendment could be used to install protections for unborn babies on the federal level. He is a law professor at the Catholic University of America and president of the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. Mark Rienzi, law professor at the Catholic University of America and president of the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, is an expert on the 14th Amendment, and he joins us now. Mark, thank you so much. Let's kick it off by having you explain to us the origins of the 14th Amendment, why it was initially introduced and advanced by Congress. Sure. The 14th Amendment was passed after the Civil War, when the radical Republicans who controlled Congress were really concerned that the Confederate governments, the former Confederate governments, as they came back into the Union, would continue to mistreat the former slaves. And Congress wanted to have some way that the federal government could reach in and require the states to give those former slaves the equal protection of the laws. And so they enacted the 14th Amendment, and it you know, became part of the Constitution in 1868. And it requires that all states have to give every person the equal protection of the laws. And why is it coming up now, the 14th Amendment, in the context of the work that's being done in our country to end abortion? Well, uh, after the Dobbs decision, there's questions of, okay, it's, it's now lawful to regulate abortion. Who's going to do it? And, and what are the regulations going to look like? Right. A lot of that activity is obviously happening at the state level, as states now um, can go back to regulating abortion. And there's really no question that states have the authority to do that, and that's playing out differently in different states. Um, the 14th Amendment comes up when people have discussions about whether the federal government might be able to have a law that creates some sort of nationwide ban on abortion or right to abortion um, or a floor on abortion rights or something like that. Um, the 14th Amendment comes up because people look and say, well, is there a path here for the federal government to have some authority to rule, uh, to, to issue laws about abortion, 
given that the 14th Amendment allows Congress to pass laws that tell the states essentially, well, you have to respect you have to respect people's rights to equal protection and so forth. Mm, I see. And, Mark, some people are saying that this is a stretch. It's a stretch to apply the 14th Amendment. It's, it's simplifying it in a way. Um, why, why are people saying that, and, and do you think it's a stretch? So I don't think it's a stretch. I think it's actually in some ways exactly what the 14th Amendment was, was made for. The 14th Amendment was, you know, originally crafted and adopted as part of the Constitution when there was a part of the country that viewed a certain subset of human beings, namely African-Americans, um, as, as not fully human and not worthy of the government's respect and not worthy of the equal protection of the laws. And uh, the people who enacted the 14th Amendment thought, we need to give Congress some way to protect people's rights, even people who are you know, viewed as less than fully equal or less than fully human mm. by others. So that, that was the original need for the 14th Amendment. And so, to me, looking to the 14th Amendment now for Congress to say, look, we can look at babies in utero and we can see that they're persons, that, that each one of us was once that and we've only ever been persons in our lives. Um, Congress can look at that and say, these are people, these are human beings. And state governments can't say that, you know, it's just okay to kill these people, right? right. That, that's the true denial of the equal protection of the laws that, you know, you can, you can murder some people but not others. Right, right. Thank you for explaining that. And, and Mark, now that Roe versus Wade is gone, some pro-life groups are pushing for legislative action to ensure that 14th Amendment protections are applied to children in the womb, as you're describing. Do you think proposals like this at this point have legs? Is this a viable legal option to protect more babies? Yeah, I, you know, I mean, it, it obviously, with anything political, it depends on, on, on when and whether and how you know you've got the votes in the legislature to pass it. Uh, but as a legal matter, I think it makes a lot of sense to say that Congress can look and, and make the judgment that human beings at some point before birth are human beings and persons who deserve the equal protection of the laws and who shouldn't be discriminated against by someone saying, well, you're not developed enough, therefore the state says it's okay to murder you. Right. Um, so, I, I, yes, I, I think it has legs. I think Congress can make that judgment. I think it's, it's, a, it's an utterly valid scientific judgment, and it's certainly a valid moral judgment for Congress to do that. Yes. Well, I so appreciate your expertise on this, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us today. Mark Rienzi of the Beckett Fund and Catholic University of America. Happy to do it. Some pro-life groups are determined that the 14th Amendment is the key to defeating abortion in America. They argue that while the overturn of Roe versus Wade was a significant victory, leaving it up to the states to decide whether abortion should be legal is not enough. When the Dobbs decision was leaked, president of Live Action Lila Rose tweeted, Human rights are not decided by majority vote. They are inalienable. We will not have true justice until every human being's right to life is legally protected. The 14th Amendment's guarantee of equal protection and due process should make abortion illegal nationwide. To continue this discussion, we're joined now by the Vice President of Communications at Live Action, Noah Brandt. Noah, thanks for being here. Let's start at the beginning. Why do you and your colleagues at Live Action think the 14th Amendment is the answer to our problem of legalized abortion in America? Yeah, thanks, Prudence. Well, the, first off, the 14th Amendment uh, says what it says. And the 14th Amendment says that every person, doesn't even say citizen, doesn't say person that's born, person over 18, just says every person is guaranteed equal protection of the laws and due process under the law. 
And all 50 U.S. states, right, have homicide laws, laws that protect people from being indiscriminately killed by others. That's sort of the basis of why we even set up a legal system, why we create uh, a polity, why we enforce uh, any sort of laws to protect ourselves and each other, first and foremost. And so a proper understanding of the 14th Amendment would say, okay, so everyone is guaranteed equal protection, every person. So who is a person? And science conclusively proves that a new and genetically distinct human being comes into existence at the moment of fertilization, also known as the moment of conception. So that's when we have a new person. If we have a new person there, that means that person is guaranteed equal protection to the laws that could apply to them. And certainly laws that preventing them being killed should apply to them. And that means that the 14th Amendment should prohibit elective abortion. Mm -hmm. The logic makes sense. And we know that abortion is deadly, Noah. A child's, a child's yeah. life is snuffed out every time one occurs. Talk to me about how this moral problem has become such a contentious political issue and how that's impacted our ability as a movement to defeat abortion. Well, you know, Roe v. Wade really tainted our politics for 50 years. And of course, this completely false, fake right to abortion was also supposedly found in the 14th Amendment's right to privacy. Of course, the word abortion does not exist anywhere in the 14th Amendment or anywhere else in the Constitution. And so the justices in Dobbs, right, in June 24th of uh, 2022, they got, you know, they got a lot of it right when they said that there is no right to abortion in the Constitution. That was a vitally important first step. So they got sort of Roe's first fundamental error. Uh, they, they were able to overturn that. Mm -hmm. But they didn't fix Roe's second fundamental error, which is saying that preborn people aren't humans, aren't persons. Because even the, you know, Justice Blackman, the justice who, the justice who authored the majority opinion, so the pro-abortion opinion in Roe v. Wade, he said that if it was ever discovered or, you know, uh, adjudicated that a, you know, an unborn human, a fetus, is indeed a person, then the abortion completely falls apart because then they're guaranteed equal protection under the law. And so this is a, a tough issue for a lot of people. And I think that even a lot of folks in the pro-life movement, right, a lot of people did say things before uh, Roe was overturned, things like, we need to send this back to the states. Uh, but, you know, that's not even what the opinion in Dobbs said. What the opinion in Dobbs said is, is it was being sent back to the people and their elected representatives. So that means the states, the federal government, everyone. And also, everyone has a role in interpreting the Constitution. The Supreme Court obviously plays a very important role, but so does Congress. And prudence, get this, since the 1980s, the Republican platform, the GOP platform that every presidential candidate and the members of Congress signed fidelity to, has said that the Republican Party supports Congress using the duties and right, the obligations given to them by the 14th Amendment mm. to enforce equal protection for the unborn. Yeah. And so this this is this this should be a consensus position, especially among folks who are pro-life. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying exactly what the Dobbs decision did there. And, and Noah, you you obviously you explained Roe versus Wade. It's been almost a year since Roe was overturned. How successful do you think our movement has been in stopping abortion since that day and changing public opinion on this issue? Well, I think that the progress should not be looked down upon. It should not be discounted because we've made great progress, right? I think uh, right now it might be 13 states in our country. Abortion is completely illegal uh, or elective abortion, and that would have been unthinkable a year ago. Right. So that's, uh, that's a, it's a big win, right? But if we actually look at the raw numbers of abortion in our country right now, or at least the estimates, 
they're not really significantly going down if you average the entire country, because I think mm. a lot of people are traveling out of state to get abortions. You have governors like Gavin Newsom who are literally using their state taxpayer dollars not only to subsidize abortion, but to encourage people from other states like Texas or Idaho to violate their state's law to travel to California to kill their children. And that right there is a good explanation, a sort of prudential explanation of why we need a national solution to stop abortion, because you're always going to have pro-abortion politicians who are craven and want to legalize and subsidize this intentional act of killing. Mm -hmm. And it's the same way that, you know, it's like we, we wouldn't have accepted a state-by-state -state solution to slavery. I mean, that's what we had before the Civil War. Uh, but it, it's not acceptable because we understand that slavery is incompatible with the American way of life the same way that intentionally killing a child through abortion should be incompatible with the American way of life. Mm -hmm. Noah, when you envision next year and the years that will follow it, what do you envision as success for our movement? Are you hoping that legislative proposals on the 14th Amendment will make headway and have legs? Absolutely. I mean, so step number one, right, besides just making sure that all of us in the pro-life movement are educated on the protections in the 14th Amendment, uh, is ensuring that all pro-life policy and legislation calls back to the 14th Amendment, making it clear that the 14th Amendment is what's giving them authority to pass these pro-life laws. I mean, really, without the 14th Amendment, I think it's tough to, how does Congress have the right to regulate abortion without the 14th Amendment? I think it's, it's actually tough to come up with a solution there if you don't believe the 14th Amendment protects the pre-born. Mm. So always going back to the 14th Amendment and ultimately working towards the goal, and this might be like Roe v. Wade, this might be a decade or decades long uh, goal, that, but we can achieve it together sure. of ensuring that every single human child from the moment that they come into existence, from the moment of fertilization, is extended the protections they are guaranteed by being born on American soil, that they cannot be killed uh, through abortion. Mm -hmm. Well, our movement is used to fighting the long fight, so if that's what it takes, that's what we'll do. Noah Brandt of Live Action, thanks for joining us and for explaining all of this. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Prudence. Thank you for covering this. We'll continue the conversation on the 14th Amendment in a bit, but first, your top headlines this week. A judge in South Carolina temporarily blocked the state's new heartbeat law. Governor Henry McMaster signed the six-week limit on abortion into law on May 25th. Yes, I certainly believe the majority of South Carolinians, Carolinians value life, uh, want to, to see uh, laws in place that protect a, an unborn child, by all means. It's, it's so disheartening to think that 41 men in this body um, can make decisions for women and girls that will impact women and girls across our state for generations to come. State legislators argued for months over the specifics of the six-week limit. The new law is now blocked and will be reviewed by South Carolina's Supreme Court. Governor McMaster has issued an emergency petition to the high court requesting that they expedite their consideration of the law so that it can go back into effect. Planned Parenthood praised the law being blocked, and until the case is decided, abortion remains available in South Carolina up to 20 weeks. According to police, two men, 73-year-old Mark Crosby and 80-year-old Dick Schaefer, were violently assaulted while praying outside a Planned Parenthood facility in Baltimore this week. The assailant approached Schaefer outside the clinic and got in a heated discussion with him about abortion. That discussion turned physical, and Crosby intervened. Crosby was then beaten to the ground and kicked in the face. Bones behind his right eye were shattered, and he was admitted to the University of Maryland Shock Trauma Unit. Schaefer suffered minor injuries. 
The investigation into this incident is ongoing. Leaders at Baltimore County's Right to Life chapter are calling on the Baltimore mayor and Maryland governor, Wes Moore, to condemn the violent attack. And on Capitol Hill, the House of Representatives votes this week to suspend the nation's debt ceiling. The proposed deal between Republican Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden establishes guidelines that are expected to be followed in terms of how much the government spends. But the real spending won't take place until the end of the summer, when Congress considers a series of appropriations bills that will actually allocate real money to government programs. Notably, the deal being voted on this week includes an automatic 1% cut to spending broadly if Congress fails to advance the appropriations bills later this year. The significant cut would go into effect in January of 2024. Pro-life members of Congress are tasked each year with ensuring that certain amendments are adopted in these spending bills to protect American taxpayers from having to fund abortion, both here at home and overseas. We continue to track this year's government spending and will keep you posted on any threats to the unborn. Coming up, public opinion on abortion. A recent poll lays out how Americans feel about legal protections for babies in the womb. And legal scholar Helen Alvarez joins us to discuss the pro-life movement's next steps and the importance of advocating for personhood protections. Plus, she shares her advice for the growing pool of pro-life presidential candidates. All this after the break. You're watching EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Welcome back to the show. We've spent time this week discussing potential next steps to stop legal abortions in America now that the United States is out from under the thumb of Roe versus Wade. But where do we stand in the battle for public opinion? And how does the pro-life movement advocate for legal protections for babies through all nine months when Americans are so sharply divided on the topic? Results from a recent Gallup poll show that now, after the overturn of Roe v. Wade, 35 percent of Americans think abortion should be legal through all nine months up to the moment of birth. A very narrow majority, 50 percent of Americans, believe there should be limits on abortion. Sadly, only 13 percent of Americans believe that abortion should be banned altogether. Two percent have no opinion. But American views on abortion are difficult to dissect. While a majority say they want limits, they also identify as, quote, pro-choice. The percentage of Americans who claim to be pro-life went down from 47 to 39 percent, a steep drop. Earlier this year, Gallup also reported that more than two-thirds of Americans are dissatisfied with U.S. abortion policies. Only 15 percent of those dissatisfied want stricter laws on abortion, which could potentially mean a total ban. So how do we move forward when so many in our country still don't recognize the humanity of babies in the womb? Helen Alvarez, professor and associate dean of academic affairs at the Antonin Scalia Law School, joins me now to discuss this more. Helen, thanks so much for being here. Throughout this episode, we've talked to legal experts and pro-life advocates who've laid out a pretty straightforward case that unborn children should be given equal protection under the 14th Amendment. In your view, if it's that simple, what factors are stopping the pro-life movement from embracing this avenue as a whole? Right. I think there might be a couple of things. Um, first, you know, this is not our first rodeo on this question. And uh, a lot of you are way young to remember this. 
But shortly after Roe versus Wade came down, there was a discussion of a human life amendment. We came achingly close mm. to amending the Constitution to protect the unborn from abortion and, and other threats. <clears throat> and I think there is a fear that there would be a great deal of effort put into it and, uh, and that it wouldn't succeed. So I think that is stopping some pro-life groups from doing it. Um, I think there's also a good deal of political influence uh, going on here. Everybody has noticed the um, number of articles that say, hey, Republican Party, slow down, you know, chill. Um, you might be scaring people off if you seek to protect the unborn for too many weeks, you know, of their prenatal existence. Right. So, you know, be reasonable, make sure there's plenty of weeks left to have an abortion. And I think some people who are thinking about this politically say, if we can't get people elected and we can't therefore get the right judges appointed, uh, then actually we're shooting ourselves in the foot to be arguing for something that is um, such a, a broad protection for unborn life. So I think, again, to summarize, part is history, part is politics. And the fear that we, we couldn't get it done and maybe do some political damage. I think that's what those who are, you know, slowing it down might be thinking. Sure, sure. And you talk about this aspect of history. And we know that obviously Roe versus Wade changed the way people think about abortion. Talk to me about this concept of so-called women's autonomy and how that's right. impacted the way people, people think about abortion, the, the killing of an innocent life. Right. So first... You know, it's obvious that whenever something is made legal, people think it can't be that bad. <laughs> Everybody's allowed to do it. Right. Second, if you look at the language of Roe, but even more so the campaign for legal abortion that it strengthened, what you see is Roe is full of a litany of women's woes for being pregnant and raising children. And it posited motherhood as some kind of zero-sum game where every gain for the child is a loss for his or her mother. Mm -hmm. And the language of autonomy, which, you know, in its root means a law unto oneself, autonomous, became popular vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, women's desire to be more free, the, the what was called at that time the women's liberation movement. But of course, and we can discuss this more in a few, um, the idea that we are laws unto ourselves or not completely mutually interdependent with others is simply not reality. Mm. Yes. And some people in the pro-life movement bring up what they call the autonomy of the unborn child, Helen. But are babies in the womb really autonomous? I think I think we're hitting <laughs> right on your point. They need their right. mother and father to survive even once they're born. Right. I, I think what they're referring to there is the, the, the separate independent existence that demands respect, right? Mm -hmm. And the at the origin of respect for life is, is not killing, right? So um, I think when they use the language of autonomy for the unborn, that's what they're getting at. Um, really, to, to, to hold up again, what, what should be obvious, but we continue to have to hold up, is this is human, this is alive, and must be respected. Yes, yes. And Helen, advocates of the 14th Amendment say that establishing protections for unborn babies under the 14th Amendment is an originalist interpretation of the Constitution. And I know you're a legal expert. Can you just explain for our viewers what that means, to interpret the Constitution right. from an originalist perspective? So that this is an important argument, and I think it has legs. Um, so to say 
that we make an originalist argument about the Constitution means that we ask, what was its meaning at the time that provision of the Constitution was enacted? 14th Amendment, that the state shall not deny, you know, without due process, um, life to, to persons. Um, the argument will be made that in 1868, when the 14th Amendment was passed, people understood the unborn child as life. In fact, Scientists had discovered the events of fertilization, the female ova. You know, in the early 19th century, we know that um, all the states, either right around 1868 or shortly afterwards, uh, amended their abortion law so that it protected human life from birth, yes. or, excuse me, from conception through birth and after. Uh, and this was true of the territories that came into the United States after the passage of the 14th Amendment. So in summary, the original public meaning of the word life in the 14th Amendment at the time it was ratified and in the years after when people were expressing their understanding of it would have included unborn human beings. Right. And, and that would be the originalist case. And it makes a lot of sense. It seems that there are some differences shifting kind of to, you know, the political aspect of all of this, as you mentioned before. There are some differences of opinion among people in our movement about how to move forward. And while there are clearly people in our country who are either strongly pro-life or strongly pro-abortion, there are also a lot of people in the middle who might be ambivalent. How do we capture their support and, and really get them yeah. to care about this? I have tried to think about this a great deal. <laughs> The first thing is that the pro-life movement shouldn't be upset that there's differences of opinion. Um, before my time in it, during my time, and after my time, people have been disagreeing. Mm. But we should give each other credit for doing it in good faith and with the common aim of trying to extend protection to vulnerable life. So that would be my first point. Second, um, if we start engaging in the gamesmanship of what's politically acceptable, protect from conception, six weeks, 12 weeks, 15 weeks. I think we're playing on the wrong territory. To me, and, and I'm very inspired by Pope Benedict, who wrote about this, interestingly, in a book on interfaith relations called mm. Truth and Tolerance, but he wrote about the abortion issue. And he said what I believe is true, and I think we need to communicate. The abortion issue is like a proxy for the whole question of whether we acknowledge that the very structure of human existence is interdependent, is relational. And I don't think we should speak about a law that protects unborn life without saying America or my state, that's where you're arguing it. Abortion is really a conversation about whether we respect other human lives, whether in particular we respect vulnerable lives, whether we are willing to take responsibility for the lives given to us, whether childhood, motherhood, family, you know, our future is of importance to us in the United States. Mm. And, yeah. and in this context of respecting reality, <laughs> the, the interdependent, you know, good Samaritan mutual care that is required for those strewn on our path, we ask you to consider our pro-life proposal. We ask you to consider extending protection to the unborn. You know, America, my state, whoever we're talking to, that we would like to protect that life from its beginning, right? From its very beginning. Right. But we also will do what is feasible at this time with the understanding that we don't stop there. 
right. that we do everything we can until we can convince you in this pluralistic democracy of the same respect for human life that we feel. Mm -hmm. I just think, Prudence, that a conversation about, you know, which weeks or which protections that does not include an exhortation toward respecting, you know, the structure of human life and our need for one another and our care for the vulnerable is not a winning conversation. Yeah, well said. And I mean, that's really what makes this a human issue, right? Thinking of the other before ourselves. Helen, I have one more question before I let you go. There are seven candidates who have announced they're running on the Republican side for president and pretty much across the board, their stances on abortion are murky at this point. What would be your one piece of advice to them? To do what I just described as saying to people, I'm pro-life, I would like to extend protection to all human life, but I also realize that I'm in a democracy and I will go as far as I can go because that's who we are as Americans, people who appreciate the necessity of taking care of those strewn in our paths, Good Samaritan style. And I want to exhort you to go as far as you can go in that. And I will agree to protect life as far as we can in this democracy and always be exhorting you to greater care. Again, announce the principle. Tell people who you really think we are as Americans on our best day and try to bring them along with you. Well said. Thank you so much, Helen. You are an asset to our movement, and we're so grateful for all the work that you've done on, on this issue over the years. Thanks for joining us, Helen Thank you Alvarez. for having me, and all the best to you, too. God bless you. You, too. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. Or send us a message by emailing ProLifeWeekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.